the acceptable sacrifice or the excellency of a broken heart. Third, the man with a broken heart is a very humble man, or true humility is a sign of a broken heart. Hence, brokenness of heart, contrition of spirit, and humbleness of mind are put together to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isaiah 57:15. To follow our similitude, suppose a man, while in bodily health, stout and strong, and one that fears and cares for no man, yet let this man have but a leg or an arm broken, and his courage is quelled. He is now so far off from hectoring of it with a man that he is afraid of every little child that doth but offer to touch him. Now he will court the most feeble that has aught to do with him, to use him and handle him gently. Now he has become a child in courage, a child in fear, and humbleth himself as a little child. Why, thus it is with that man that is of a broken and contrite spirit. Time was indeed he could hector, even hector it with God himself, saying, What is the Almighty that we should serve him? Or what profit shall I have if I keep his commandments? Job 21:15, Malachi 3:13 and 14. A. But now his heart is broken. God has wrestled with him and given him a fall to the breaking of his bones, his heart, and now he crouches. Now he cringes. Now he begs of God that he will not only do him good, but do it with tender hands. Have mercy upon me, O God, said David, yea, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Psalms 51 and 1. He stands as he sees, not only in need of mercy, but of the tenderest mercies. God has several sorts of mercies, some more rough, some more tender. God can save a man and yet have him a dreadful way to heaven. This the broken-hearted sees, and this the broken-hearted dreads, and therefore pleads for the tenderest sort of mercies. And here we read of his gentle dealing, and that he is very pitiful, and that he deals tenderly with his. But the reason of such expressions no man knows, but he that is broken-hearted, he has his sores, his running sores, his stinking sores. Wherefore he is pained, and therefore covets to be handled tenderly. Thus God has broken the pride of his spirit, and humbled the loftiness of man, and his humility yet appears. One in his thankfulness for natural life, 
He reckoneth at night when he goeth to bed, that like as a lion, so God will tear him to pieces before the morning light. Isaiah 38:13. There is no judgment that has fallen upon others, but he counts of right he should be swallowed up by it. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. Psalms 119, 120. But perceiving a day added to his life, and that he in the morning is still on this side hell, he cannot choose but take notice of it, and acknowledge it as a special favor, saying, God be thanked for holding my soul in life till now, and for keeping my life back from the destroyer. Job 33:22 and Psalms 56:13 Psalms 86 verse 13 Man before his heart is broken counts time his own and therefore he spends it lavishly upon every idle thing his soul is far from fear because the rod of God is not upon him, but when he sees himself under the wounding hand of God, or when God, like a lion, is breaking all his bones, then he humbleth himself before him, and falleth at his foot. Now he has learned to count every moment a mercy, and every small morsel a mercy. Two... Now also the least hopes of mercy for his soul. Oh, how precious is it! He that was wont to make orts of the gospel, and that valued promises but as stubble, and the words of God but as rotten wood, now with what an eye doth he look on the promise. Footnote. Orts. An obsolete word in England, derived from the Anglo-Saxon, any worthless living or refuse. It is thus used by Shakespeare in his Troilus and Cressida, Acts 5, Scene 2. The fractions of her faith, orts of her love, the fragments scraps, the bits and greasy relics of her ore-eaten faith. Editor George Offer. Yea, he counted a peradventure of mercy more rich, more worth than the whole world. Now, as we say, he is glad to leap at a crust. Now to be a dog in God's house is counted better by him than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Matthew 15, verse 16 and 27. Luke 15, verse 17 through 19. 3. Now he that was wont to look scornfully upon the people of God, yea, that used to scorn, to show them a gentle cast of his countenance, 
Now he admires and bows before them, and is ready to lick the dust of their feet, and would count it his greatest, the highest honor, to be as one of the least of them. Make me as one of thy hired servants, says he. Luke fifteen nineteen. For now he is in his own eyes the greatest fool in nature, for that he sees he has been so mistaken in his ways, and has not yet but little, if any, true knowledge of God. Everyone now, says he, have more knowledge of God than I. Everyone serves him better than I. Psalm 73, 21, 22, Proverbs 32, 3. 5. Now may he be but one, though the least in the kingdom of heaven. Now may he be but one, though the least in the church on earth. Now may he be but loved, though the least beloved of saints. How high an account doth he set thereon. 6. Now when he talketh with God or men, how doth he debase himself before them? If with God, how does he accuse himself and load himself with the acknowledgments of his own villainies, which he committed in the days wherein he was the enemy of God? Lord, said Paul, that contrite one, I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. Acts twenty two nineteen twenty. Yea, I punished thy saints oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Acts 26, 9 through 11. Also, when he comes to speak to saints, how doth he make himself vile before them? I am, saith he, the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle. I am less than the least of all saints. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor and injurious, and so forth. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Ephesians 3, 8, 1 Timothy 1, 13. What humility, what self-abasing thoughts doth a broken heart produce? When David danced before the ark of God, also how did he discover his nakedness to the disliking of his wife? And when she taunted him for his doing, says he, it was before the Lord, and so forth. And I will yet be more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight. Second Samuel six twenty through 22 Oh, the man that is, or that has been kindly broken in his spirit, and that is of a contrite heart, is a lowly, humble man. Fourth, the broken-hearted man is a man that sees himself in spirituals to be poor. Therefore, as humble 
and contrite, so poor and contrite, are put together in the word. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. Isaiah 66, 1, 2. And here we still pursue our metaphor. A wounded man, a man with broken bones, concludes his condition to be but poor, very poor. Ask him how he does, and he answers, truly, neighbor, in a very poor condition. Also, you have the spiritual poverty of such as have or have had their hearts broken, and that have been of contrite spirits, much made mention of in the Word. And they go by two names to distinguish them from others. They are called thy poor, that is, God's poor. They are also called the poor in spirit, Psalms 72.2, 74.19, Matthew 5.3. Now the man that is poor in his own eyes, for of him we now discourse, and the brokenhearted is such an one, is sensible of his wants. He knows he cannot help himself, and therefore is forced to be content to live by the charity of others. Thus it is in nature, thus it is in grace. One, the brokenhearted now knows his want, and he knew it not till now. As he that has a broken bone knew no want of a bone setter till he knew his bone was broken. His broken bone makes him know it. His pain and anguish makes him know it. And, and thus it is in spirituals. Now he sees to be poor indeed is to want the sense of the favor of God. For his great pain is a sense of wrath as hath been shown before. And the voice of joy would heal his broken bones. Psalms 51.8 Two things he thinks would make him rich. One, a right and title to Jesus Christ and all his benefits. Two, and saving faith therein. They that are spiritually rich are rich in him and in the faith of him. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, James 2, and 5. The first of these giveth us a right to the kingdom of heaven, and the second yields the soul the comfort of it. And the broken-hearted man wants the sense and knowledge of his interest in these. That he knows he wants them is plain but that he knows he has them is what as yet he wants the attainment of. Hence, he says, the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst. Isaiah forty-one seventeen. There is none in their view, none in their view for them. Hence, David, when he had 
His broken heart felt he wanted washing. He wanted purging. He wanted to be made white. He knew that spiritual riches lay there, but he did not so well perceive that God had washed and purged him. Yea, he rather was afraid that all was going, that he was in danger of being cast out of God's presence, and that the Spirit of grace would be utterly taken from him. Psalms 51. That is the first thing. The brokenhearted is poor because he knows his wants. Two, the brokenhearted is poor because he knows he cannot help himself to what he knows he wants. The man that has a broken arm, as he knows it, so he knows of himself, he cannot set it. This, therefore, is the second thing that declares a man is poor. Otherwise, he is not so. For suppose a man wants never so much, yet if he can but help himself, if he can furnish himself, if he can supply his own wants out of what he has, he cannot be a poor man. Yea, the more he wants, the greater are his riches if he can supply his own wants out of his own purse. He then is the poor man that knows his spiritual want and also knows he cannot supply or help himself. But this the broken-hearted man knows. Therefore, he in his own eyes is the only poor man. True, he may have something of his own, but that will not supply his want, and therefore he is a poor man still. I have sacrifices, says David, but thou dost not desire them. Therefore my poverty remains, Psalms 51.16. Lead is not gold. Lead is not current money with the merchants. There is none has spiritual gold to sell but Christ, Revelation 3.18. What can a man do to procure Christ or procure faith or love? Yea, had he never so much of his own carnal excellencies, no, not one penny of it will go for pay in that market where grace is to be had. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned. Songs 8, 7. This the broken-hearted man perceives, and therefore he sees himself to be spiritually poor. True, he has a broken heart, and that is of great esteem with God. But that is not of nature's goodness. That is a gift, a work of God. And that is the sacrifices of God. Besides, a man cannot remain content and at rest with that. For that, in the nature of it, does but show him he is poor. And that his wants are such as himself cannot supply. Besides, there is but little ease 
in a broken heart. Three, the broken-hearted man is poor and sees it because he finds he is now disabled to live anywhere else but by begging. This David betook himself to, though he was a king, for he knew as to his soul's health he could live nowhere else. This poor man cried, saith he, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Psalms 34 and 6. And this leads me to the fifth sign. Fifth. Another sign of a broken heart is a crying, a crying out. Pain, you know, will make one cry. Go to them that have upon them the anguish of broken bones, and see if they do not cry. Anguish makes them cry. This, this is that which quickly follows. If once thy heart be broken, and thy spirit indeed made contrite, one, I say, anguish will make thee cry. Trouble and anguish, saith David, have taken hold on me. Psalms 119, 143. Anguish, you know, doth naturally provoke to crying. Now as a broken bone has anguish, a broken heart has anguish. Hence the pains of one that has a broken heart are compared to the pangs of a woman in travail. John 16, 20 through 22. Anguish will make one cry alone, cry to oneself, and this is called a bemoaning of oneself. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself, said God. Jeremiah 31, 18. That is, being at present under the breaking chastising hand of God. Thou hast chastised me, saith he, and I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the oak. This is his meaning also who said, I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. And why? Why, my heart is sore pain within me. Psalms 55, verse 2 through 4. This is a self-bemoaning, a bemoaning themselves in secret and retired places. You know it is common with them who are distressed with anguish, though all alone, to cry out to themselves of their present pain, saying, Oh, my leg! Oh, my arm! Oh, my bowels! Or as the son of the Shunammite, my head, my head, Second Kings 4.19, Oh, the groans, the sighs, the cries that the brokenhearted have when by themselves are alone. Oh, say they, my sins, my sins, my soul, my soul, how am I loaden with guilt? How am I surrounded with fear? Oh, this hard, this desperate, this unbelieving heart, 
Oh, how sin defileth my will, my mind, my conscience. I am afflicted and ready to die. Psalms 88.15 Footnote This is in exact agreement with the author's experience, which he had published 22 years before under the title of Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. I was more loathsome in my own eyes than was a toad, and I thought I was so in God's eyes too. Sin and corruption, I said, would as naturally bubble out of my heart as water would out of a fountain. I thought that none but the devil himself could equal me for inward wickedness and pollution of mind, a sure sign that God, as his heavenly Father, was enlightening his memory by the Holy Spirit. Volume 1, page 16, number 84, editor George Offer. Could some of you carnal people but get behind the chamber door to hear Ephraim when he is at the work of self-bemoaning? It would make you stand amazed to hear him bewail that sin in himself in which you take delight, and to hear him bemoan his misspending of time while you spend all in pursuing your filthy lusts, and to hear him offended with his heart because it will not better comply with God's holy will, while you are afraid of his word and ways, and never think yourselves better than when farthest off from God. The unruliness of the passions and lusts of the broken-hearted make them often get into a corner and thus bemoan themselves. Two, as they thus cry out, in a bemoaning manner of and to themselves, so they have their outcries of and against themselves to others. As she said in another case, Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. Lamentations 1.12 Oh, the bitter cries and complaints that the brokenhearted have and make to one another, still every one imagining that his own wounds are deepest and his own sores fullest of anguish and hardest to be cured. Say they, if our iniquities be upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Ezekiel 33 and 10. Once being at an honest woman's house, I, after some pause, asked her how she did. She said, very badly. I asked her if she was sick. She answered, no. What then, said I? Are any of your children ill? She told me, no. What, said as I, is your husband amiss? Or do you go back in the world? No, no, said she. But I am afraid I shall not be saved and broke out with heavy heart, saying, 
Oh, good man, Bunyan, Christ and a pitcher. If I had Christ, though I went and baked my bread with a pitcher, it would be better with me than I think it is now. This woman had her heart broken. This woman wanted Christ. This woman was concerned for her soul. There are but few women, rich women, that count Christ and a picture better than the world, their pride and pleasures. This woman's cries are worthy to be recorded. It was a cry that carried in it not only a sense of the want, but also of the worth of Christ. This cry, Christ and a picture, made a melodious noise in the ears of the very angels. Footnote. This account of the author's interview with a pious, humble woman is an agreeable episode which relieves the mind without diverting it from the serious object of the treaties. It was probably an event which took place in one of those pastoral visits which Bunyan was in the habit of making, and which, if wisely made, so endears a minister to the people of his charge. Christ and a crust is the common saying to express the sentiment that Christ is all in all. The picture has reference to the custom of pilgrims in carrying at their girdle a vessel to hold water, the staff having a crook by which it was dipped up from the well or river. Editor George Offer. But I say, few women cry out thus. Few women are so in love with their own eternal salvation as to be willing to part with all their lusts and vanities for Jesus Christ and a figure. Good Jacob also was thus. If the Lord, said he, will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, then he shall be my God. Yea, he vowed it should be so. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Genesis 28, verse 20. 3. As they bemoan themselves and make their complaints to one and another, so they cry to God. O oh God, said Heman, I have cried day and night before thee. But when? Why, when his soul was full of trouble, and his life drew near to the grave. Psalms 88, 1 through 3. Or, as it says in another place, Out of the deep, out of the belly of hell cried I. Psalms 130, verse 1. 
Jonah 2 and 2, by such words expressing what painful condition they were in when they cried. See how God himself words it. My pleasant portion, says he, is become a desolate wilderness, and being desolate it mourneth unto me. Jeremiah 12:11. And this also is natural to those whose hearts are broken. Whether goes the child when it catcheth harm but to its father, to its mother, where doth it lay its head but in their lap, into whose bosom doth it pour out its complaint, more especially, but into the bosom of the father of a mother, because there are bowels, there is pity, there is relief and succor, and thus it is with them whose bones, whose hearts are broken. It is natural to them. They must cry. They cannot but cry to him. Lord, heal me, said David, for my bones are vexed. Lord, heal me, for my soul is also sore vexed. Psalm 6, verses 1 through 3. He that cannot cry feels no pain, sees no want, fears no danger, or else is dead. Sixth, another sign of a broken heart and of a contrite spirit is, it trembleth at God's word. To him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Isaiah 66, 2. The word of God is an awful word to a broken-hearted man. Solomon says, The word of a king is as the roaring of a lion. And if so, what is the word of God? For by the wrath and fear is meant the authoritative word of a king. We have a proverb. The burnt child dreads the fire. The whipped child fears the rod, even so the broken-hearted fears the word of God. Hence, you have a remark set upon them that tremble at God's word, to wit, they are they that keep among the godly. They are they that keep within compass. They are they that are aptest to mourn and to stand in the gap when God is angry and to turn away his wrath from a people. It is a sign the word of God has had place and wrought powerfully. When the heart trembleth at it, is afraid, and stands in awe of it. When Joseph's mistress tempted him to lie with her, he was afraid of the word of God. How then can I do this great wickedness, said he, and sin against God. He stood in awe of God's word, durst not do it, because he kept in remembrance what a dreadful thing it was to rebel against God's word. When old Eli heard that the ark was taken, his very heart trembled within him, for he read by that sad loss 
that God was angry with Israel, and he knew the anger of God was a great and terrible thing. When Samuel went to Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled, for they feared that he came to them with some sad message from God, and they had had experience of the dread of such things before. Genesis 39, 7-9, 1 Samuel 4, 13, 1 Samuel 16, 1-4. When Ezra would have a mourning in Israel for the sins of the land, he sent, and there came to him every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. Ezra 9, 4. There are, I say, a sort of people that tremble at the words of God and that are afraid of doing aught that is contrary to them. But they are only such with whose souls and spirits the word has had to do. For the rest, they are resolved to go on their course. Let God say what he will. As for the word of the Lord, said rebellious Israel to Jeremiah, that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee, but we will certainly do Whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth. Jeremiah 44, 16. But do you think that these people did ever feel the power and majesty of the word of God to break their hearts? No. Verily, had that been so, they would have trembled at the words of God. They would have been afraid of the words of God. God may command some people what he will. They will do what they list. What care they for God? What care they for his word? Neither threats nor promises, neither punishments or favors will make them obedient to the word of God. And all because they have not felt the power of it, their hearts have not been broken with it. When King Josias did but read in God's book what punishment God had threatened against rebellious Israel, though he himself was a holy and good man, he humbled himself, he rent his clothes, and wept before the Lord and was afraid of the judgment threatened. Second Kings 22, Second Chronicles 34. For he knew what a dreadful thing the word of God is. Some men, as I said before, dare do anything. Let the word of God be never so much against it. But they that tremble at the word dare not do so. No, they must make the word their rule for all they do. They must go to the Holy Bible and there inquire what may or may not be done, for they tremble at the word. This, then, is another sign, a true sign, that a heart has been broken, namely, when the heart is made afraid of and trembleth at the word. Acts 9, 4-6, Acts 16, 29, 30. Trembling at the word 
is caused by a belief of what is deserved, threatened, and of what will come if not prevented by repentance, and therefore the heart melts and breaks before the Lord. For the necessity there is that the heart must be broken. I come in the next place to speak to this question. But what necessity is there that the heart must be broken? Cannot a man be saved unless his heart be broken? I answer, avoiding secret things which only belong to God, there is a necessity of breaking the heart in order to salvation, because a man will not sincerely comply with the means conducing thereunto until his heart is broken. For, first, man taken as he comes into the world, as to spirituals, as to evangelical things in which mainly lies man's eternal felicity, and there he is as one dead and so stupefied and holy in himself as unconcerned with it. Footnote. The word holy here is spelt W-H-O-L-L-Y. Now back to the reading of Bunyan. Nor can any call or admonition that has not a heart-breaking power attending of it bring him to a due consideration of his present state. And so, unto an effectual desire to be saved. Many ways God has manifested this. He has threatened men with temporal judgments. Yea, sent such judgments upon them once and again, over and over. But they will not do. What? Says he, I have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. I have withholden the rain from you. I have smitten you with blasting and mildew. I have sent among you the pestilence. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Amos 4, 6-11 See here, here is judgment upon judgment, stroke after stroke, punishment after punishment, but all will not do unless the heart is broken. Yea, another prophet seems to say that such things, instead of converting the soul, sets it further off. If heart-breaking work attends such strokes, why should ye be stricken any more, says he? Ye will revolt more and more. Isaiah 1 and 5. Man's heart is fenced. It is grown gross. There is a skin that, like a coat of mail, has wrapped it up and enclosed it in on every side. This skin, this coat of mail, unless it be cut off and taken away, the heart remains untouched, whole, 
and so as unconcerned, whatever judgment or afflictions light upon the body. Matthew thirteen fifteen, Acts twenty eight twenty seven. This which I call the coat of mail, the fence of the heart, has two great names in Scripture. It is called the foreskin of the heart and the armor in which the devil trusteth. Deuteronomy 10.16, Luke 11.22. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.